0: Living La Vida Low Carb, talking about a low carb diet uh, Getting your body healthy, it ain't no doubt about it Yeah, It's really about ketosis, a ketogenic life yeah. A real time indicator for ketosis called ketonics It message your breath for ketones Are you burning fat? It's the first of its kind All my ketonians, where you at? Hey. I'm just here to let you know, wanna look and feel incredible We living La Vida Low Carb, get your body healthy and live long Hey. Keep my fats high, high and my carbs low. Need my glucose down right now, pronto. Check my ketones, look at the stats, yo. With Ketonix, now I'm in the burning fat zone. Ketonics, we burning fat, yeah, we on it, yeah, yeah. With ketonics, I'm burning fat, and I'm on it, yeah, yeah. Living La vida, low carb, I do this every day. If you want to burn that fat, it ain't no other way, yeah go to ketonics.co, for my international followers, it's ketonics.com, Woo. The carb show.com.
1: Woo! Today I'm very privileged to welcome to the podcast a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jason Fung and uh, he earned his medical degree at the University of Toronto where he also completed his internal medicine residency before heading to the University of California, LA for his fellowship in nephrology. He's currently practicing as a kidney specialist in Toronto and during the course of treating thousands of patients It's become very clear to Dr. Fung that this epidemic of type 2 diabetes and obesity has been getting worse and worse. And the prevailing dietary recommendations of cutting fat and calories is clearly an ineffective strategy. So he founded the Intensive Dietary Management Program to provide a unique treatment for focusing on type 2 diabetes and obesity. And rather than using medications, this clinic uses dietary changes that are simple yet effective And he's just released a book kind of outlining a lot of the principles that he talks about with his patients. It's called The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss. Welcome back to the show, Jason Fung.
2: Hi, how are you? Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for
1: having me on. Absolutely. And people have heard your voice quite a bit here on this show in the past few months, because you and I have been doing some Periscope uh, interviews about fasting. And certainly we'll talk about fasting later on in the interview. But uh, this book, The Obesity Code, you've kind of had this in the can for a little while. And I know you're real excited to finally have it out there.
2: Yeah, I think that um, it is a while. I finished it almost a year and a bit ago, but it takes a while to get it published. I so it's been kind of cooking for about a year or so. <laughs> but really, I'm excited to have it out because what I really want people to understand is kind of the uh, science behind what, you know, you and I talk a lot about, right, behind uh, ketogenic diets, behind intermittent fasting, behind low-carb, uh, high-fat diets, all these sort of things. And, uh, you know, you, you and I get a lot of pushback from people who say, oh, you know, it's all about the calories and it's the first law of thermodynamics, Like all these ideas which are just wrong and people don't even understand why it is that they're so um, far off.
1: Why do they persist, though? These are myths that are pretty well known. Why, why do they persist?
2: Because it sounds so easy, and everybody keeps repeating these sort of things all the time, like it's all about cutting calories, you know, it's all about calories in, calories out, a calorie is a calorie. I mean, a lot of these ideas just get kind of parroted, and then you think they're true, even though they're not, because the thing about it is that if you say a calorie is a calorie, well, oh, that sounds obvious, and it's a great catchphrase, but the problem is that it's not really true at all. For example, if you take a calorie of bread and a calorie of butter and you eat them, the metabolic effect on our body is completely different and it's easily measurable, right? We can measure it and we've known it for at least 50, 80 years that that metabolic effect is completely different. So why would we expect that the effect on our body is the same because because the, 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 the insulin and the hormone changes from those foods are completely different. You get these kind of crazy, crazy ideas from these calorie people, because if you think it's all about the calories, then you could say, oh, well, you know, you could eat that plate of cookies for dinner yeah. instead yeah. of a salad with grilled salmon and olive oil because they're the same number of calories. So they'll be equally fattening, right? And anybody who looks at it would say, wow, you're crazy, right? If you eat a plate of cookies for dinner every night, you are going to gain weight. If you eat a salad with salmon every night, you are more likely to lose weight. So even though they're the same calories, the effect on our body is completely different. And this is not a new idea, of course, right? If you asked your grandmother or your great-grandmother and you said, well, I'm going to eat this uh, plate of cookies for dinner, she'd say, you're crazy, right? You're going to gain weight. Right. You got to cut out sugar. You got to cut out the starchy foods. You got to stop eating snacks and cookies if you want to lose weight. Right. And it turns out that she knew more about that than all these kind of modern so-called scientists. And, you know, the other thing I say is that the proof really is in the pudding. Because for the last 40 years, at least, you know, since the 1970s, we've said it's all about calories and cutting fat and cutting calories, and this is the whole problem, was that when... um, When we decided that dietary fat was the main cause of heart disease, which isn't really true, there was really no evidence behind it, then we had to come up with a reason why we had to switch away from those dietary fats, right? And the problem is that you really can't go up on dietary protein uh, alone. It's very hard to go up to 50 80% protein diets because if you eat meat, for example, uh, you generally have protein with fat. So... If you eat less fat, you wind up eating more carbohydrate, right? We're not talking about cabbage here. We're talking in in the United States and Canada about bread and pasta. So the the base of that food pyramid that I grew up with was bread and pasta. And and, and we're told, right, to eat it five, six times a day, right? Not just a little bit. We should be eating it all the time. So
1: As a means of controlling blood sugar, which is ironic to me.
2: Well, exactly. It is It is actually exactly the wrong thing to do. And so, it, you know, this book really explores some of the, you know, the history and the ideas that how, how these kind of ideas came to be, but why they're really just not correct. Um, but it all stems from those sort of root things. One is the kind of fear of dietary fat. And then that kind of played right into this whole calories in, calories out out idea because you can't say, eat more carbohydrates uh, and eat less fat and then say, well, carbohydrates are fattening, right? Right. You can't say that carbs like bread, so let's say bread, the uh, you know, the base of the food pyramid, you can't say bread is really healthy, because it's low in fat. And at the same time, bread is very unhealthy, because it's going to make you fat, right? So those two just don't jive. So then you had to turn all those kind of fattening carbohydrates into the sort of healthy whole grain. And that's kind of where where we got this idea from.
1: Well, and we've even given a free pass to sugar for many years uh, for the same reason. Oh, it's low calorie. It's very low in fat. Coca-Cola is fat free. Jason, did you know that? <laughs> and so, so people would say, oh, well, 100 calorie of uh, a little can, a little miniature can, 100 calories of Coca-Cola. That's OK within a part of a balanced, healthy diet. Um, but that's when you predicate everything on calories. And it's kind of where that whole system breaks down.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is what you're saying, this whole idea of a balanced diet, right, where everything has to be in balance. And it's kind of silly, because it's, um, you know, I don't really care if they're balanced, what I want to know, is it healthy or unhealthy, right? So it doesn't matter if it's balanced or not. So at the same time that they can throw fat into, you know, say, you should eat very little, very little fat, right? That's not balanced either, right? When we started telling people to eat ultra low fat diets when they had their heart disease, that was not balanced, right? But they didn't care about that, right? Now you say, oh, low carb is like, oh, that's an out of balance diet. Well, you know, how can they play it both ways, right? Yeah. You know, on the one hand, fat gets, you know, gets to be knocked down to zero at the same time. You know that there are essential fatty acids, but yet no essential carbohydrates, right? It, it seems, you know, all these kind of things are just ridiculous. Like there's so many kind of ridiculous sort of nutritional myths out there.
1: Well, but I, I do love the work that you're doing and many others in this community are doing kind of shifting the, the focus away from this whole energy balance uh, calorie hypothesis, or as you call it in your book, deception. I love that word uh, wow. more on to the hormonal impact that these diets are having. I think if we eat to our hormones, specifically insulin, uh, a, a low insulin diet to me sounds a whole lot better than low calorie, even low
2: carb. Yeah, exactly. Because there's other things that impact the insulin other than these uh, carbohydrates. And that's one of the things that always gets kind of leveled as criticism against the low carbohydrate community. Um, And I think it's valid to some degree because there are. Uh, whole communities of people who eat very high carbohydrate uh, diets. You know, people look at the studies of the Cantabins, people look at, say, the Okinawans who ate a lot of sweet potato. It was like 60, 70, 80% carbohydrate diets, yet those Okinawans were some of the healthiest people on earth. So they'd say, well, look, you can eat carbohydrates and still be very healthy. And the funny part about the Katavins, for example, and they're also eating a lot of these kind of unprocessed uh, whole foods. Turns out a lot of them are carbohydrate-containing foods, sure. So they're about 70% carbohydrates, but look at their insulin levels. When they measured their insulin levels, they were extremely low. In fact, they were at the fifth percentile. So when Dr. Lindeberg compared it to his native Sweden, the Katavins kind of had Lower insulin levels than ninety five percent of the population, yeah. so that's why there was no obesity because their insulin wasn't high. So you have to look at some of these other factors that contribute to the insulin, other than just the carbohydrates. So we, you know we have to take the the, the kind of um, it's not all just carbohydrates right other things affected so you have to look at the insulin resistance which I think is really the major player these days in terms of uh, causing our insulin levels to go up but also things such as fiber the role of fiber vinegar and animal proteins and vegetable proteins all of them play a role and some of them for sure don't have a lot of uh, data behind it but we can't just say well let's just ignore it right so we, we do have to have a kind of more comprehensive theory of obesity than simply carbs, insulin, obesity, right? The insulin to obesity part is, to me, fairly well established, but it's not simply a one-way street. And and I make the analogy, I I say that obesity is like a multifactorial disease. It's kind of like, you know, uh, lung cancer, for example. Sure, smoking is a huge factor, In it, but it doesn't mean that everybody who smokes will get cancer, right? It it, it is simply not like that. There are other effects, there are genetic effects, there are uh, other foods, there are um, even things that uh, things like uh, sleep deprivation, for example. So here's, I think, the ultimate. Um, example is that if you are sleep deprived, for sure it lends people to gain weight, right? People tend to gain weight. We all know that. And chronic stress does the same thing. Yet there's no calories and sleep deprivation, and there's no carbohydrates in sleep deprivation, right? So if your entire theory of obesity lies with reducing carbohydrates, then how do you explain sleep deprivation? Or if, you're, if your entire theory of obesity depends on calories, well, how do you explain sleep deprivation, right? And yet you, you simply can't ignore it because we all know it's true. The studies are there everybody knows it right you go through a stressful time in your life and you gain some weight or whatever it is it's true i i I can accept that so you have to go back what are the effects of these hormones what is the effect of that chronic sleep deprivation what is the effect and it affects your hormones in a certain way that is going to make you gain weight so it affects cortisol in this case right yeah so
1: This issue of insulin resistance, I don't think is talked about nearly enough. Definitely in our community, it is. But from a mainstream medicine perspective, I think it's devalued at partly because of the calorie hypothesis still kind of ruling the roost there that physicians are kind of defaulting to that and not really understanding this role that insulin resistance plays. Do we have any statistics on how much of the population could be identified as insulin resistant?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. You can look at the recent studies in uh, the United States, for example. So insulin resistance is very much linked to type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. So it's the same underlying process. So high insulin resistance is what causes it. Um, So the thing is that um, if you look at the... The recent studies, almost 50% of Americans, actually it was about 52%, I think, were either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Like that is a huge number, right? That means in 50, like more than half of the entire population is dealing with this insulin resistance because that's what prediabetes is. So, you know, to say that this is like a minor issue is like you can't say that. Like everybody's dealing with it. And the other thing that's interesting about insulin resistance is that the reason we're interested in insulin resistance is because it leads to high insulin levels, right? And high insulin levels is what what leads to obesity. So if you look at insulin resistance and what causes it, um, I think that what the cause of insulin resistance is, is insulin, high insulin. So that sets up a vicious cycle because you can see that if your high insulin levels leads to high insulin resistance, the high insulin resistance leads to high insulin levels. Now you've got a vicious cycle, right? High levels leads to resistance, resistance leads to high levels, which leads to more resistance and you go round and round. Yep. What happens is that the longer you go around that cycle, And this is for decades for most people, right? The harder it is to break that cycle because it's self-reinforcing. It's a vicious cycle, right? In which case... You, you have to do something more drastic. And what it leads you to is the fact that people who have been overweight for a long period of time are going to have a much harder time to lose weight because they've been going around that cycle. Because that cycle is perpetuating itself. So if you change your diet, your diet hasn't isn't the major cause of your high insulin levels. So you have to treat that insulin resistance cycle, not your diet, because that's your major problem. And so what, what's interesting, again, I think, is that it, this sort of hypothesis gives you an explanation of how obesity is really a time dependent phenomenon because it depends on this vicious cycle, whereas the calories or even the carbohydrate hypothesis says that if you gain weight, you know, two weeks ago, you should have the same uh, difficulty as Losing weight as somebody who's been obese for 35 years, but everybody knows that's not true. Right. One who's been obese for 35 years just has a lot harder time losing weight right? And yet the person who's been overweight for a week and a half says, ah, you know, I lost the weight. Well, why can't shoot. It. Like, that's ridiculous, right? So that's why some of these theories, we really have to go back and really kind of um, rework some of these theories to really understand how to explain some of these phenomena that we're seeing, like the time dependence, like the insulin resistance and all that kind of thing, because it plays a huge role in, in, in you know, obesity.
1: If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-Bombs. Go to jimmylovesfbomb.com, enter the coupon code JIMMYLOVESFBOMB, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-Bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butter, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends, including the house blend the mct oil as well as coconut oil if you want your fat on the go then you need to check out jimmylovesfbomb.com and once again use the coupon code jimmylovesfbomb you'll get 20 percent off your first order jimmylovesfbomb.com
0: What's the worst part of doing keto? The meal prep. What you really need is a quick, customizable, and easy keto meal replacement for when your other food options aren't ready. Introducing Keto Chow. It's the fully customizable meal replacement that makes keto easy. Keto Chow takes just seconds to prepare. Add the fat of your choice, a scoop of Keto Chow, water, and shake. Just trust the thousands of five-star reviews on Facebook, Amazon, and Google Shopping. Keto Chow comes in 18 delicious flavors, and in a third-party blind taste test, Keto Chow outperformed all of the competitors in appearance, flavor, texture, and overall impression.
1: Head on over to jimmylovesketochow.com to place your order, and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout for 10% off your first order. While you're there, be sure to check out the electrolyte supplements, no sweetener no added flavor no caffeine and pure electrolytes keto chow do you think part of the problem with this issue regarding obesity is the obsession over weight loss rather than looking at what the underlying causes are that could make them healthier which has a nice side effect known as weight loss I think sometimes our culture with shows like the biggest loser, I don't know what they have in Canada as far as weight loss shows that are popular, but I would assume that kind of message kind of pervades the culture so much so that people put all their stock in how their health is doing based on what that scale is saying.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. Um, You know, there's, there's this, um, you know, we have the same sort of biggest loser. I think we watch the American shows just the same. So, The, um, the idea is to be healthy, right? But in the end, you know it's looking at um, the waist size is is one of the things that is also very important and um, if you look at um, studies of weight for example the visceral fat we know is much more dangerous than the subcutaneous fat so the fat that's carried in the organs around the organs for example uh, which is carried kind of in the belly is much more dangerous uh, to people than fat that's carried kind of under the skin Fortunately, the the majority of obesity that I see, which is in older people, tends to be carried uh, in the central area. So it's something called central adiposity uh, or trunkal obesity. Um, it's basically the same idea, right? It's the, the fat that's carried in your in your um, abdomen that's more dangerous. So you can use a rough um, rule of thumb. You can you can check your height versus your waist. And if your kind of height is over two times your waist size, then that's probably close to where you want to be. Um, unfortunately, most of us fall far uh, you know, above that sort of thing. But it gets back to the idea that it's really the, the, um, the waist that's, uh, that's more important than the, uh, than the overall weight. And that
1: overall weight is so predicated on so much more than just your diet. If I get one email that's common amongst a lot of the ones I get, Jason, it's this. It's where people say, hey, I'm doing everything right in my diet. Everything's just perfect. I've been exercising even. I feel great. Number, Blood numbers all look good, but I'm just not losing weight and even sometimes gaining weight. So that's when I usually ask them about stress levels and sleep and some other lifestyle factors that I think people don't put enough stock in when it comes to trying to unlock this obesity code that you talk about. They forget about the lifestyle factors mattering as much as the diet.
2: Oh absolutely and I see this all, all the time we get these patients with chronic pain syndromes and fibromyalgia but really their main problem is all that cortisol or stress hormone and they really just can't figure out why they can't lose weight and unfortunately you have to deal with those situations so you have to deal with the chronic pain or you have to deal with the fibromyalgia which is not easy right so if you can't deal with those then the weight becomes very difficult Yeah. You know? But at least identifying those kind of underlying causes, Uh, because the thing is that, you know, the main thing I talk about is how obesity is really multifactorial. That is, there's lots of different things that can cause it. And what we get into sometimes in these kind of nutritional debates is, is slightly ridiculous. Like the analogy I make is that say your car doesn't start right? And somebody says, well, you know, my car didn't start and I put in gas and it ran fine. So therefore the answer is you should put in gas. But the other guy who has, you know, blown spark plugs says no way, right? I put in gas and my car didn't start, but I put in new spark plugs and it works fine, right? Therefore the answer to everything is new spark plugs. right? And then they go like, go at it like crazy, right? And it's like, okay, well, you're both right and you're both wrong. Right, you're you're right in your own situation. Right, but you can't acknowledge that it's a different problem for the other guy, right? So, you know, I don't understand. I don't know why we don't kind of see that in nutrition. That yes, one person's problem is going to be sleep deprivation. The next guy's problem is going to be insulin due to refined carbohydrates. The next guy's problem is going to be long-standing obesity and insulin resistance. And the next guy's problem is going to be a chronic pain syndrome. And and each of these will require a different treatment because there's just different um, there's just different uh, problems here.
1: Yeah. So, as you know, I've been doing some fasting experiments in the past few months. And one thing that I've noticed doing some of these uh, because I have pretty bad significant uh, insulin resistance myself is it seems like uh, with the insulin resistance, you have a lot more susceptibility to stress resistance as well where the stress tends to hit those people especially hard is there any
2: research about that um i think that there's very little research actually because this whole uh idea of stress and cortisol we know it is important because for example we can use a synthetic form of cortisol which is a drug called prednisone we give it people people gain weight right therefore we know excessive cortisol really causes weight But because of this whole kind of 50, 40, 50 years of calories in, calories out, nobody's really taken it seriously. So there's really just not a lot of research. There's a little bit of research, like, for example, at UCSF, there's some people who are looking at mindfulness meditation and showing that you can reduce cortisol levels because meditation is one of the very kind of old-time tested kind of stress relievers. And the thing is that you can actually then correlate that to lesser abdominal obesity, which is great. So there's there's an example where you have an intervention which is targeted at stress reduction and you show the weight loss, which is great. But there's not very many of these studies and most people don't take it seriously. And, uh, you know, the thing is that most people say, yeah, 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 I should you know, relax more or whatever. And then they sit in front of the TV and it's like, okay, that's not relaxing. right? Uh, Relaxation is an active process, right? You have to do something. It's like yoga. It's like Tai Chi. It's like going out and talking to friends. It's like religion. It's like prayer, all these sort of things. It's not sitting in front of the TV. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody thinks is, is actually
1: relaxation. For sure. Well, we're running out of time. I want to make sure we hit on, um, The next project that you're working on, because this book, The Obesity Code, is doing very well right now. But in there, a lot of people were like, well, is there a lot of information about fasting? Because that seems to be kind of what you're known for, Dr. Fung. And so uh, you did include an Appendix B in there, which is a practical guide all about fasting. Uh, But it just merely scratches the surface. And there's so much more that you want to share out there about it that uh, you and I actually decided to collaborate on a book that will be coming out in November called Fasting Clarity. Can you tell people kind of what they'll see differently in that book from what they might have seen in the obesity code?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a continuation, so it really worked out uh, well because the um, obesity code is really talking about science and kind of the underlying causes of obesity, causes of weight gain, and introduces the idea that fasting can help break that kind of insulin resistance cycle. But I didn't really have time to, I was way over my word limit anyway, they're cutting cutting my stuff like crazy, you know how it is. Right? Oh, yeah. I was like, "Oh man, there's a ton of, there's a bunch of diagrams. I thought were very nice and help people understand." And every other time, they're like, "We gotta cut it. We gotta cut it." I'm like, "Okay." So unfortunately, there wasn't room to put in all the information that we had uh, about fasting and a lot of the physiology, the history, and really the practical tips about what to expect, how to do it properly. What the danger signs are, um, who shouldn't be doing it, you know, all these sort of things. Because there are problems that come up with. Fasting. There's no doubt. Hunger, for example, people always worry about getting hungry, how to deal with that. People worry about muscle loss. People worry about there's headaches. People get all kinds of problems. So we have all of that in fasting clarity. And um, I think that that's going to be a really important book because, um, as, as you know, there's really not anything out there that's a kind of how-to guide of how to do it. With This is going to be like the definitive guide, as you say. It's really going to lay out everything you really need to know because there's like so little information out yeah. there. Like people – and and people said the same thing to me, which is when we were talking, right? You know, people would come up to me and say, you know, where can I find more information? I'm like, well, you know, you can go to my website. That's probably like the only place <laughs> you'll find anything, right? Yeah. They're like, can't I get a book? I'm like, yeah, no, you can't do that <laughs> yeah, <not> yet anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's when we were talking and it's like, okay, let's write a book, right? Because people want to know, people want to get the help. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's just nothing really there. There's a few books out there, but it's not the same and, uh, degree of, um, you know, practical stuff. So this is mostly on a, a um,
1: consumer level with anecdotal um and just focusing on the intermittent fasting whereas you're a clinician who's using this with patients and you're doing various ones not just the intermittent there's alternate day fasting there's some of these extended fasts for specific purposes so it's really the totality about fasting not just one aspect of it
2: Absolutely. And the the thing is that sometimes I see on the internet, there's people say, oh, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. I'm thinking, have you ever like supervised anybody with fasting? And yeah. my guess is no, right? Whereas I've put hundreds and hundreds of people on fast i mean i've had like 80 year old men on fast i've had you know 30 year old women on fast. you know for just an example i was just looking at there is uh, somebody who brought up again the issue of women and fasting and yeah. everybody goes to this one article online that says oh women shouldn't fast and stephanie rupert like, right yeah and it's like okay you've got a bunch of rat studies and a study of 20 20- People. Okay, so my practical experience is probably about 600 women who have fasted. And if you were to ask me if there's a difference between men and women, I'd say no. I don't see any difference whatsoever between men and women. That is, women have problems. Yes, but so do men, right? They get hungry. They get crabby. They want to eat too, right? So it's not different. Now, if you're talking about an 18-year-old, really skinny, underweight woman Yeah, that's not who should be fasting, right? Right. Um, I'm talking about treatment of obesity treatment of of type two diabetes, right? I'm not talking about people who are doing it just for the hell of it, right? So yeah, I mean, if you're looking at that demographic where people are doing it to lose some weight for their health, yeah, absolutely. There's no reason why women shouldn't do it. And if you have problem then you should stop right that's the most important thing to understand and yet everybody looks online and because there's so little information everybody quotes the same article about the same 20 patients I'm like 20 patients that's not even like you know not even 10% of the patients that I've seen right yeah. it's it's simply ridiculous to understand that millions and millions of women over thousands of years have been fasting and now all of a sudden in 2016 We think we're so smart that we take some rat studies and a study of like 20 women when millions of women have done it and say, oh, we're so smart. You shouldn't be fasting. And in reality, we're just really, really stupid because you have to talk to somebody who's done it. Right. And that's the whole problem. Like even these. Uh, there's been a few recent articles that have come out and some have come out and they've been fairly negative. And I'm thinking, but you haven't talked to anybody who's actually done it or supervised anybody who's done it. So if you're going to write an article about fasting and say why it's either good or bad, then you have to talk to somebody who knows. And this is uh, my advantage, is that I've done it. I've done it for years. I've got many, many people on it. And my guess is that there's very few people in the world who have put more people on fasting than I have, uh, truthfully. So it's like writing an article about basketball by talking to the big wrestling coach, you can't even jump, right? It's like, why would you do that? Right? <laughs> why don't you talk to the basketball coach, right? Hey, I may it's know okay. something about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you want to talk about fasting, talk to somebody who actually does it right. or has the experience, right? It's ridiculous to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah you see this all the time and, the, and that's what we want to change. You see that people want to have that information about fasting. So it's an option. I'm not saying you have to do it. Nobody has to do it, but it's an option because there's a lot of people who do very well on it. It's a
1: tool in the toolbox.
2: Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're definitely wetting their appetite for our book in November and you're definitely coming back on uh, when that book comes out, November 15th, 2016 fasting clarity, uh, all about Fasting, we're, we're hot in the midst of writing that right now. So definitely, yeah, think about us as we go through that. And we are going to try to address it just like we have the other Clarity books. Uh, Cholesterol Clarity and Keto Clarity is going to be in that same vein. The only difference is I don't think we have a whole lot of like Moment of Clarity, quote, experts like we have in the other books. Because quite frankly, there's not a whole lot of them out there. We're going to try to get a few, but def- definitely not as many. Uh, Dr. Fung is the expert. And uh, and then I'm doing my own experimentation and sharing how this all c- kind of fits together. So looking forward to sharing that Dr. Fung again, his book that we talked about earlier, the obesity code, unlocking the secrets of weight loss. We'll have a link to it in the show notes section at the live and low carb show.com. And you can find Dr. Fung at intensive dietary management.com. Well, Jason Fung, thanks so much for joining us again here today on
0: the live and LaVita low carb show. Thanks, Jimmy. Disc of Light